Hello everyone, I am Giulio Prisco. For this episode of the Turing Church podcast, I'm in conversation with an old friend, about which I'm going to say a few things before giving the floor to her and a new friend. Uh, the old friend is Kenia Sun Tzu, is a kind of uh, legendary in certain circles. My new friend is Brian Den Hertog. I hope I pronounce your name right. Yeah, yeah, it's Den Hartog. It's a typical Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it's correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I promised to say a few uh, things about Kania because, you know, I have known Kania for a long time. We met uh, in uh, 2005 or 2006 in uh, Second Life, where uh, at that time everyone knew what was Second Life. Today, not so well, but we're going to cover that. Kania uh, has many good qualities, but uh, at least last I remember, self-esteem was not one of those qualities. So before she starts saying bad things about herself, I want to start with something good, which is that uh, I always considered Kenia as one of the smartest persons I have ever met. Someone extremely perceptive who uh, could do... Uh, really a lot of good in many fields. I don't really know what she's up uh, these days, and I hope to find out. We met uh, in Second Life, because as I said, 2005 or 2006. I was very much into uh, virtual reality, metaverse, virtual worlds at that time, and uh, reading uh, the online uh, press and blogs, I kept um, hearing this name, Kania Sun Tzu. Uh, well, uh, just the name was uh, interested and intriguing, so I started reading about her. And at some point, uh, we met in Second Life, and uh, we became friends. You're still my friend, sir. You're still my friend, I hope, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, one of my biggest inspirations in my life. Oh, well, that's uh, perhaps too much. I think I should say that uh, we don't really agree on everything. Perhaps I should even say that we agree about almost nothing. But, uh, you know, I do like to have... Uh, good friends who disagree with me and bring uh, a perspective that is completely different from mine, things that I wouldn't uh, think about myself. So can you, what are you up to these days? Um, I'm enjoying life. Uh, I That's uh, good. have functionally uh, retired from uh, uh, the responsibilities of a, a normal life. Um, I am uh, living in Amsterdam now. Uh, after living in The Hague for uh, seven or so years, before that a suburb of The Hague. Um, I, um, I had uh, uh, a few uh, transgender-related uh, cases, like uh, people that were like uh, needed help or needed um, to reset their life, in, quite often related to transitions. 
Uh, the last one is very good, very dear friend of mine from Prague. Um, uh, she's going to get married soon, I hear. <laughs> and she transitioned uh, surgery-wise last November. Other than that, I occasionally write articles, but not particularly often. And um, um, no, I, I wouldn't say that I'm um, as relevant to our case, very active in the transhuman community or otherwise. Um, I don't feel I have much of a contribution there left. However, fortunately, um, um, a result of that was uh, meeting Brian through Philippe van Edevelde. And Brian wanted to make a documentary about uh, the topic material. And uh, the, the, the documentary was like a, a, a special project uh, that was supposed to last 15 minutes, but now the content has gone over an hour. So that is, um, it, it was a small feature documentary as far as I understand it. And now it's most likely going to the, the film festivals and uh, it will touch heavily. Oh, wow. yeah. uh, I really look forward to seeing it. Uh, you say that it's going into film festivals. That means it's already done or is the no. work in progress? It's not done, but Brian can most likely answer your questions in more detail. Yeah, that's great. So, Brian, uh, well, first, I'd like I'd ask you to introduce yourself because we never met before. And then maybe say something about this documentary. And uh, when can I look forward to seeing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me in this, uh, in this nice get together. Um, so my name is Brian. I am a filmmaker. I um, graduated a few years ago at the Royal Academy for Theater, Cinema and Sound in Brussels. And while I was graduating, I was making a short uh, project. Um, and that film uh, was called A Dialogue at Cyberspace. And that would be, you could describe it as the first step I made as a filmmaker into this field into this like domain it was about the virtualization of the human body and how we can oh, wow. identify ourselves a dialogue in, in cyberspace is it uh, online uh, can it be found youtube or things you can find it at the festival um, um the festival impact it's a media art festival in the netherlands kania also was a guest there once Right. Huh? Yes, 2013. Yeah, uh, it's so an online channel, Impact Channel, and you can find it there. It's a, it's a channel with a lot of really interesting uh, films, experimental films related to uh, media art. and. Uh, Great. So instead of taking notes now, perhaps you email me so I have the URL and I can see it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's uh, great. So you were... Uh, kind of interested in cyberspace and these things at that time. Yeah. And so I continued working in this, like, how to say, in this thematic world um, after I graduated and during my graduation. And in that process, I met true Philip from Nederfelder, by the way, who back then still lived in Belgium. I met Kenia um, for the first time in, I think, Early 2018, it was? No, it was after my surgeries or before my surgeries. Before the, the family. Yeah. Fem the 2017, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think late 2017. 
Yeah, December. And I met for the first time in The Hague in a, in a cafe <laughs> and it was a really, yes. really inspiring conversation about hundreds of subjects, I guess, or I think we were talking for hours. And I was so intrigued by Kania's uh, uh, power to envision another version of herself and the world in the future. That, that, and of course, I also felt where she is coming from and um, how, how the possibility to change and to become someone that gives um, yeah, some people with, with a certain past more strength, that it's, it's so powerful and so inspiring for so many people that I felt, wow, I want to see what, what, what this means, this, this, this uh, transhuman growth that you can, and of course, how it's connected also to, to the process of surgery. She was still uh, in back then as a trans, transgender woman. Um, and how she doesn't just see the, the, the process she's in as becoming more feminine, but also becoming something post-human. And this story was so inspiring for me that I thought, wow, can I, can I follow you? Can I be part of your life as a filmmaker? And that at first was a bit scary, <laughs> I think, for Kania. So we met several times. Um, and now it resulted in that we are following her for a few years um with certain ups and downs in her life but also we are not only following the documentary storyline of Kania but also fictionalizing with the film the future world that she one day uh, could be living in um and um so this is really interesting it's not a classical documentary where you follow a one person in in everyday normal life in 2018 to 2022 but we also start to build this future world and they sort of sort of start to merge together in the film so i wouldn't describe it myself as a documentary but like as a film that's somewhere in 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 the middle of documentary and science fiction and uh, Brian will uh, attract an actress to portray me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we are in the middle of the, that process now. So you don't. Uh, so you don't interpret yourself. Sorry. Uh, I thought that uh, in the film uh, Kania would uh, interpret herself, but you just uh, said that you have an actress to play that role. The second half of the transition is uh, that uh, my future self will be portrayed ah. by an actress. And right, the yeah. first half of the movie, I will um, portray myself uh, in all my mundane aspects of I my life. I see. I see. So when I see the film, I'm guessing now, I'm imagining that uh, I will see uh, you played by yourself until, say, 2023, whenever the films come out. And then I will see a few more uh, uh, decades of uh, what uh, uh, may happen to you, and uh, you'll be played by someone else. That sounds uh, that sounds great. When mm. uh, do you think the film will come out? Well, that's that's always the, the difficult question with with yeah, artistic film uh, films here in Europe um, because we are now filming for a few years for the documentary. I think most of the documentary material is there. And now we are writing 
the fictional part of the film, casting it, making the production design, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So we are now really focusing on what will the fictional world, how, how can mm -hmm. we build it? What will it look like? That's what we are doing now. And if we are finished with this phase, it means that it's called the development phase of a fictional film. Then we start seeking money for the actual uh, production, the actual realization uh, for the entire fictional part of the film. And uh, it's all dependent on how fast that goes, how long as a filmmaker that needs money, you always have to of wait for people to see the plan, approve it. And then um, I hope it will be ready sooner than later. But um, what would be the title of the film? For now, the title is Knia. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, it's such a strong name. And um, yeah, also, also because it's all about like grow to this post-human self that, that, right. that Knia started to the, also find so much power in that name and in that in that uh in that character that's right that huh? he's growing towards uh well you know i would like to follow this project so that uh you know if uh every now and then i could see a script some ideas uh you know what you are thinking of putting in the second half of the film i would uh like uh very much to read it and maybe mm -hmm. comment because as i am imagining the documentary right now Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. something that until a certain moment, perhaps 2023, perhaps 2024, follow uh, the current version of Kania. I can imagine that part of the film, because even if we haven't seen each other since, uh, for a long time, I think since 2010 in Milan, yes, I know more or less uh, what you have been uh, up to in the last few years, more or less. But now uh, you said two very interesting things. One is that uh, the film is going to continue in the future. And the other is that uh, while the first uh, part of the film documents uh, the, uh, the transition in real life of Kenya uh, to transgender, the second fictional future part will document her transition to post-human. And I'd like very much to hear more about both Kenya's future transhuman self and the future world where she will live. From me or, or from Kenya? From either, either or both. Um... Yeah, maybe it's it's interesting if you can yeah, um, tell a bit first, and then I can explain what I, as a filmmaker, am doing with that uh, image of yourself in the future. Um, uh, if you, if I would lay out like a story narrative of um, a sort of hypothetical life you have to ask like very important questions is how do you get there um i'm talking uh a future that's clearly over the horizon for a normal life um a normal uh, life duration um over well over 100 years 
um, that it assumes life extension. Mm -hmm. um, it also assumes um, some augmentation of my body in whatever format. Then you have to ask yourself, what kind of world uh, do we end up with? Um, um, how do I maneuver that world in the current economic constraints that I'm in? Um, uh, hold on, if I can interrupt one moment. Yeah. Uh, then you continue. So you said that uh, you hope to live more than 100 years. And uh, you also said uh, that everyone will. So I guess that means that I'm also going to live more than 100 years. Now, that sounds interesting because, uh, you know, through I do follow all these things, futuristic medical technology and all that. But myself, I don't have the impression that that is going to happen, not uh, for our generation at least. Well, when it comes to Brian's generation, uh, I don't know, perhaps yes, I guess yes. But I don't see any of these things really beginning to happen until uh, late in the second half of the century. So. Uh, is a very you know you normally sound pessimistic but uh, in this uh, aspect of things you are quite more optimistic than me i guess it's a premise for the movie specifically and uh, ah, okay. i don't i don't want to argue uh, uh, the likelihood of uh, uh, of life extension uh, in whatever form um, I think that the documentary leaves a few things open, so that might be like a terrorist, some kind of personality construct. Mm -hmm. Although I prefer to be there, <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh, I I wouldn't want to make a guess. Uh, I, I let's see. say let's say I'm I'm distinctly less optimistic than Orbi the Gray. Right, uh, and uh, that's also my position as well. For the record. I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I've been writing about these things, I've been talking about these things, but uh, while I do think that all these things, like, you know, indefinite life extension and uh, immortality and mind uploading, living in the computer cloud and all that, I think all that is going to happen one day, but uh, I do not think that day is going to be soon. Unfortunately, I'd like to be wrong. But I don't really believe that I will see these things myself with my eyes before uh, logging off. Mm, okay, this was an aside. Please go on, can you? Um, let me recapture the, a chain of thought. Um, a very important aspect is like the normal average life of like most people. Um, how do you navigate a very rapidly changing and very um well some might argue dangerous world as we've seen in the last few years a lot of people died so this world is actually becoming more dangerous in, in some ways well i still see myself in decades from now still living in some future form of amsterdam uh, for practical reasons income um uh, i see my uh, myself um if I get lucky in terms of life extension and in terms of uh, augmentation, uh, um, sort of low key, um, you know, in an intermediary or facilitating role or in a socially engineering role. Um, um, and at some point I come to the realization, hey, 
I am now 120 or 130 or 140. I, I've exceeded any expectation. Um, a very important aspect is not just living like that, but uh, having um, that, that, that very compelling, uh, urgent feeling in me that I've always had uh, being uh, who I um, so desperately want to be. And that is a very more, a much more feminine frame. And of course, a, a much prettier feminine frame. Um, so a young woman in her early 20s with a glint in the eye that betrays uh, a, a much longer life and much different perspectives. Um, uh, yeah, um, making use of all the pleasures of the world and um, uh, using to my benefit whatever friends I made and whatever insights I had and whatever legacy I built up over the years. Maybe even uh, when I'm when my mind is clearer in an academic sense or in a business sense or in a, yeah, sort of like a more powerful than I'm right now. Um, but yeah, um, you would see um, uh, a cliche from um, um, several interesting uh, TV series we've seen recently. Of course, we have the Blade Runner cliche. Uh, I was in love with Blade Runner 2049, but Westworld is a very solid um, uh, set of images. Um, uh, you ask yourself, uh, I personally am more about the transhuman, the transition itself, and maintaining a, a, a more or less biological body. Uh, I've never, like Philip van Neuvelde says, I want to be a ball of light as quickly as possible. I, uh, I do not underwrite this enthusiasm. Uh, personally, I prefer uh, a meaty body, a soft, pliant, resilient body, but uh, where uh, I can make use of uh, what uh, evolution uh, tested. Uh, before me. So um, uh, maybe after a while, four arms, but initially for at least a century or, or a bit longer, I want to uh, maintain the humanoid form. Of course, better eyes, better ears, uh, better limbs, better blood system, better, better liver. <laughs> I need one at this stage. Um, uh, like all the, the upgrades, as you would expect, like uh, in the game Cyberpunk but hopefully a little less dystopian, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what- uh, One question before you start, do you hear any background noise coming from me? No. Not really, no. No, that's great, so I don't have to unmute the mic, because my wife is uh, listening to something in the other room. Okay, no background noise, that's great. So, well, that uh, sounds good. So how are you going to convey all that in the film, Brian? Yeah, well, we talked about this a lot, about uh, the future, about how, how, uh, the, like, how a cyborg being in the, like Kania could, uh, could um, yeah, look like, um, how she would move around, uh, what place she would have in, in society, how she would interact with others. Like we talked a lot about this. And of course, there are so many interesting details about the future, about society, about what technologies could be used that all cannot be, that, that cannot all be part of the film. So for me, it's about like setting a certain time 
maybe 60, 70 years in the future. And that is a version that I could show. What could she be like, you know? And all the steps to become that person would be like an entire like series in itself, of course. So it's not going so, to be a it's not going to be a continuous thing. It's kind of like you stop now or next year and you restart 60 or 70 years in the future, right? Um, it's hard to, uh, you could see it more as a, as like the journey to the future would be more like a metaphorical transition than a, a really narrative one where you see all the steps. So you could imagine Kania driving around the hospital in 20, 20 or whatever and going into a surgery room and then we cut to a scene in the future where we are in a cyborg lab and right. humans are still walked upon and that would be uh, in this case Kania in the future so um, so that's more how the film would work and uh, um, Kania will be able to to start her quest exploring her future self in the here and now and then we through like more surrealistic cinematography, we will end up with Kania in that future. And she will like be part of that world as well. So we want to bring those, those domains together. So that's how the film will function in the end. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I, I'm really, the, the, the core of the, of the project for me is like Kania's talents to envision like a future self and to, to, um, um the growth toward that so the whole world is like based around that character so you would explore the future by with the character going into a cyborg lab going into like maybe a, uh walking in a landscape where you see in the background a, a, um um how to say a building site for for space a space elevator for example um going to to a futuristic rave in which you see like other cyborg creatures that maybe look totally different so the human life form is totally adjustable you know that's that's how you would explore the world and you wouldn't maybe see the more classical um um sci-fi images like a city with flying cars and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff and then dive into a world and explore characters there that's that that's like another filmic approach it's all based around like the 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 personal growth and how to yeah find how to become a post-human creature that that's wow. more what it's like because of course otherwise i would end up making like a westworld series where you need multiple mm -hmm. seasons to explore all these technologies all these uh, yeah social sociological aspects of, of of a society and stuff and that's that's not possible in in one film of course not yeah, but yeah. that uh, really sounds very cool i hope you will be able to find uh, the money to complete the film no? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah we are working on it and till now it's it's kind of successful but you need patience of course yeah yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, i want to give you an example of uh, this uh, visionary ability as you say of mm -hmm. uh, a to reinvent herself mm -hmm. so uh you know when we first met in uh, a virtual reality, uh, Kania would never have shown uh, her uh, face. 
Och även här där listening to her voice. Because uh, you know you kept your virtual self very separate from uh, your uh, real self, right? Uh, I think that is um, very uh, typical uh, yeah. transgender uh, stuff. Is that uh, um, uh, you? Uh, uh, what you have is the body dysmorphia or the gender dysmorphia. Is that you um, abhor um, that particular uh, part of yourself? Uh, tra transgenders, you see a lot of these phenomena and these urges uh, very uh, widely displayed. And um, at the time, um, I came from um, humble beginnings. Uh, I was uh, for in, in, in say as specifically around the time we met. I was dirt poor. I was like as poor as you could be in the Netherlands. Um, and there were weeks when I uh, <laughs> didn't eat much. Um, that is like a rock bottom in the Netherlands. Plus, the, some things happened uh, where I suspect that there was a vindictive quality in the in the municipality I was uh, in. Um, I won't go into details, but um, uh, it was a, a, a quite. A, I was convicted of some um, missteps. <laughs> And I think that uh, they were vindictive about it uh, for some time. Mm -hmm. And uh, with great difficulty, I succeeded in escaping that uh, regimen. Um, they gave me a vayum. In Dutch, that is a disability, where you acknowledge 100% disability, where you acknowledge that you were disabled from youth. Um, uh, I don't think that was appreciated by the gemeente, uh, the, the municipality where I was in. But um, yeah, in retrospect, it made all the sense. Um, I have cluster headaches. I uh, came from a youth with severe uh, uh, physical and mental abuse. And uh, um, yeah, that immediately results in something like um, uh, depressions. Um, I was in the time locked in a very unhappy marriage, although I at the time didn't realize it, but my marriage was horrible. <laughs> Um, uh, she was very sick. Well, you got the tail end of that uh, story, uh, I remember. Yes. I was still married uh, with her in uh, 2005. Uh, but literally, Second Life was instrumental in the end of that marriage because she saw me develop in a way that she couldn't handle. She at some point said, I'm sorry, but I'm not a lesbian, mm -hmm. where she parsed uh, my desires, my, my inner um, urgency very clearly. And uh, yeah, we divorced as a result of that. Um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I, I set out from then on a little bit more optimistic than I'm now uh, um, on that journey uh, to the future, of course, influenced by terrorism a lot. And uh, by my, uh, I was increasingly a friend of Orbit de Grey. And Orbit de Grey has always been optimistic about our chances remarkably optimistic still. He thinks that uh, life extension will be commonplace in the 2030s. Um, we both back to differ. Uh, I think, uh, I think Aubrey drinks too much. I always do <laughs> I, I agree, yeah, Aubrey is. Uh, um, Besides uh, Aubrey, you also mentioned Terra Sam. Of course, I'm very familiar with that, but perhaps uh, Brian isn't and some viewers are. So could you maybe explain uh, in your words what Terrasem is? 
uh, Tenrosem was mostly the uh, like a, a sort of a sort of a, a cloud of diverse projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I would say, the, the personal hobbies of uh, Martin Roblet and her friends. Um, the ideological part was in large part filled in with uh, the late uh, Fred Chamberlain. Uh, he wrote a lot about how quick the technology could uh, accelerate. Again, overly optimistic. Um, um, uh, but I would say that mostly it was the hobbies uh, of Martin. Uh, and which he was willing to spend money on. So uh, I, um, I talked with her a little about it, and she was like me, a Larry Niven fan, and uh, um, uh, an O'Neill fan, a Gerald K. O'Neill fan. Um, and yeah, um, I think that is the most optimistic scenario can envision for the future. So that is like a colonization of near space, industrialization of the solar system, uh, cybernetics, virtual reality, uh, um, but um, Fred especially uh, took it off to an almost, um, I wouldn't say absurd, but surreal degree where you say we probably are on the way to Alpha Centauri in a couple of decades. Um, um, uh, I wrote some stuff for terrorism, including the idea that we would have space habitats later this century. Um, I'm coming back on that assessment, um, but uh, Elon Musk is still surprising us uh, to this very day. <laughs> uh, who knows what might happen? Um, uh, but it, it, it remains very important to emphasize that it is um, in large part a transgender thing. Um, and uh, second, I had at the time, 2005, I had the feeling that I mostly didn't live my life before that. So between the 1980s and 2010, uh, I was so impoverished that I like the, the journey to uh, Milan was already uh, a breathtaking adventure for me. <laughs> uh, Martin prayed for that journey. And uh, that was um, exceeded any uh, expectation. And after that, I, with the generosity of, uh, of uh, Dan Massey, I could visit America twice, uh, which also ex exceeded any expectation I had of my life at the time. At the time. So yeah, um, I since then, since 2010, around then, I had been on a lucky streak. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I've exceeded any expectation of what I, uh, of what I. Uh, beforehand and visit. I'm still alive. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. You're still alive and you look good. I, yeah, I, um, um, I'm happy about myself. Yeah, happier than I was at the All time. Right. Oh my God, that's uh, something that uh, I didn't hope uh, to hear uh, from you, that you're happy about yourself. Happy about my life. That's great. You know, uh, but I still have a long way to go. Of yeah. course, but you know, there is this uh, reason why I have uh, always uh, admired you a lot, and uh, that is that. Well, uh, we met in Second Life. I met an avatar. I met yeah. an avatar called Kenya uh, Sunsun. Yeah, that's at, my legal uh, name now. Right that didn't want to have uh, much to do with uh, the real uh, 
person behind the keyboard. Uh, for uh, uh, many years, uh, I didn't know your uh, real life name, but at some point you decided how to say to export Kenya from the virtual world to the real world. And you yeah. started living in the real world and uh, there you managed to reconstruct a version of the virtual Kenya. And uh, I see that uh, this uh, reconstruction is working well. And uh, you say that uh, is going uh, to continue. You are going to reconstruct yourself more and more. And perhaps uh, we will see in the next few decades, something like uh, the end uh, of uh, the film that Brian was describing. Well, I think this is uh, real good. Real good, it deserves admiration. And I really think you have built a good life for yourself. I, the last 10 years, I've been on Lucky Street, yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of adventures. I had a several um, dramatic relationships. Dramatic. <laughs> Including, yeah, we talked about it, the story with Kim. Um, it was very tragic how, her, how she ended. Um, mm, horribly right. tragic. Uh, uh, not everyone is going to be familiar with that. And, uh, you know, I could say something, but um, I don't really know what I can, what I can and what I should say or not. Maybe can you lead with uh, something about Kim? It would be good to remember her online. Kim was a very sweet kid. I loved her. Yeah. Uh, Kim, when I met her, was in Second Life, was a typical anime um, uh, um, uh, virtual games, World of Warcraft, uh, playing escapist kid, uh, very um, um, uh, living a very painful life in Mexico. Her dad was um, allegedly or arguably very uh, difficult. Uh, uh, her dad was angry because Kim couldn't function in, in that particular environment. Uh, so she fled in a virtual existence. Um, she spoke perfect English as a result, uh, but she lived in complete isolation, um, foraging back and forth between dad, who lived in uh, uh, Cancun as a cook, I believe, and her mom, who lived in Mexico City. I saw her mom on a video once having a conversation, uh, and uh, um, I, um, I was very worried about uh, Kim at the time in 2010. Uh, but I would say that it was uh, sort of like an atavist to worry about my ex-wife. Uh, my ex-wife was very sick. And for 10 years, I cared about my ex-wife. And I transplanted that care to Kim and after that, several other trans girls. So Kim uh, uh, was able to uh, move to Washington, D.C., uh, more uh, luck out of than anything else. She lived a while in Washington, D.C., uh, then she found her way to, um, uh, I think, Mountain View uh, in uh, right. near San uh, uh, Francisco. I think, uh, uh, I think uh, we should uh, skip a few years now because uh, 
you know, if you described those uh, few years, you would have to name some uh, people yeah. that perhaps we shouldn't name at this moment. No. Uh, so, so maybe can you just fast forward to the last couple of years of Kim's life? As I heard from a mutual friend, uh, Kim ended up in uh, New York, got in a fight with a landlord. Um, there was a lot of drugs involved. Kim was at the time having frequent uh, psychotic episodes, was very sick, was using a lot of narcotic substances, um, including meth. Um, she, um, um, she hinted at that she was um, having financial support at the time. She was disabled. Uh, she had her uh, US passport. Um, so she got in a fight with the landlord. Uh, she had the US passport already. Yeah, yeah, from 2014, 15, 16 something. Um, but um, she, uh, she was convicted and she didn't want to show up uh, because she used violence against the landlord and he filed a press charges. And she didn't want to show up uh, at the court uh, meeting because she was completely convinced that she would be um, sent to prison and uh, oh for a long time. Uh, um, so I think she threw something at the man. It was, of course, Kim was not a violent person at all, but uh, uh, the situation escalated and I wouldn't call her rational at the time. Um, she didn't reach out to me for help. Uh, I know that she reached out to a bunch of friends uh, uh, for help, but uh, I don't think there was any reasonable pathway to help her. Um, so she fled uh, to Canada. Uh, in the bus ride uh, to Canada, she took an overdose of drugs. Um, that didn't work, so they uh, pumped her stomach and put her back on the bus. She uh, then ended up in uh, one uh, border town, Canada, uh, where she um, uh, ended up in a refugee or um, in a homeless uh, camp. She lived a while in a tent and then she took the, uh, the final overdose uh, of drugs and she died. Um, I, I hear that her mom went to Canada uh, paid for by the embassy and uh, identify her and, um, with must have been horrible. Oh my God. I saw some uh, pictures of Kim and um, yeah, she was the last five years, she was very much lost. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, that really makes me very deeply sad. Uh, I just met Kim once at this uh, event in Milan that you referred uh, to. Yeah. Uh, it was a conference called uh, Transvision that I organized yeah. in Milan. Yes. A lot, of, uh, a, a lot of friends were there. Martin was there and uh, Opie de Grey was there. Max Moore was there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan Massey, that was where I met yeah. uh, Dan Massey. Alison yeah. Gardner. Lots, lots of people. And uh, Kim was there. She acted for uh, a few days as a technical specialist in charge of many of the computer systems for the conference. I didn't see her after that. We, she emailed to me very seldom in the next few years. I think I didn't hear from her ever since 2016. Yes. But what I do 
remember, is uh, a very smart person and a very, very sweet kid. Yeah. Very sweet. I was uh, deeply sad when uh, I heard uh, that uh, she's gone. And, yes. uh, well, you know, uh, mm, just thinking aloud about films, about the future, what can happen in the future and all that. Now, in yeah. uh, Brian's film, we are going to see a future world where uh, Kania is there as uh, some kind of cyborg, a human with human flesh, but perhaps some mechanical body parts, perhaps some brain augmentations, perhaps she's going to become uh, technologically telepathic, something like that, which mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, in some sense, uh, the obvious continuation of her uh, transition from yesterday's Kenya to today's Kenya. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, now, just uh, wildly imagining, I'm imagining a future world where uh, Kim is still there with us. And, uh, oh, okay, uh, we may think, okay, that's uh, not going to be possible because Kim uh, was not uh, cryonically frozen. She didn't live... Uh, behind the DNA, as far as I know. She didn't leave uh, behind uh, what uh, Martin Rothblatt uh, calls a mind file. But one would think, oh, okay, this uh, future with Kim is just impossible. Now, myself, I like to think that uh, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, you're not going to be familiar with this uh, very weird idea of mine, uh, uh, Brian, but uh, Kanye is. I do think that uh, some kind of very futuristic technology in the very, very far future is going to be able to bring the dead back, everyone, everyone who ever died from the past, bringing them back. And perhaps uh, the world of tomorrow in the far future is going to be far too different from ours. So we would not feel at home if we were resurrected into that world. Mm. So perhaps they will uh, put us back into some kind of virtual reality that looks uh, like something halfway between today's world to which we are used and tomorrow's world which we wouldn't be able to understand at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's uh, nice uh, to think about these things. Uh, things that I, I, I cannot guarantee that that is going to happen. I dedicate uh, the largest part of my time to thinking about uh, scientifically plausible ways for this to happen. But uh, regardless, of how it could be. I think that uh, contemplating the idea and contemplating the possibility that people like Kim could be brought back to life somehow, that gives me a lot of peace and uh, a lot of happiness. It gives me something to live for. Now, Kania, I know that you don't, uh, you don't, uh, 
really subscribe to these ideas, but maybe could you just, uh, to satisfy my curiosity, could you say something about this? And uh, you also offered that, Brian. Um, what you are uh, alluding to is, is if um, religion, um, is specifically the Christian religion, because that's the most dominant one at, at the time, but you can easily extend this to the Buddhist religion as a sort mm -hmm. of like a, a Freudian projection of uh, our nature, our shamanic nature. Mm -hmm. um, so at one point we have to contend with our physical limitations, our biology, our procreation, our food, our shelter, our very base survival. But as an artifact or as a construct or as a uh, maybe a failure mode, I don't know, mm -hmm. we, can, uh, we have a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. We have at the back of our head, we have the, the sensation that a white bearded um, autocrat is whispering in our ears uh, that may have uh, evolutionary uh, adaptations. We, uh, we may have been in a bottleneck genetically for a few thousand years by um, uh, tyrants, um, uh, horrible men who instilled genetically in us the expectation that there is a white bearded autocrat behind us. Uh, we may now be, um, uh, you uh, maybe, uh, are venting these projections. And we may be trying to reverse engineer um, uh, hmm. the world um, uh, with a god, mm -hmm. or with a Buddha, or with a nirvana, or with a heaven. Mm -hmm. I'm all for that. Uh, I am uh, very uh, much uh, into uh, seeing God as a project. Mm -hmm. Say uh, we can, I can subscribe to the a particular uh, model of God. Um, let's say uh, Elon Musk. And uh, or Amazon may have different diametrically opposed gods. And uh, I see um, um, uh, religion as a consumer package where you uh, can say, well, I, uh, one version of me taken from the year 2007 and another version uh, somehow extracted from the year 2022. Uh, both are different, distinctly different versions. And then you introduce them in a, what you call, Nick Poster would say, um, uh, a historical simulation, mm -hmm. either material or partially material or completely virtual. And uh, you have a branching version of you, several versions of you uh, throughout history in sort of a slipstream forward. Um, I think the, the movie Vanilla Sky uh, uh, mm -hmm. hinted towards that. It's all very matrixy. But uh, yeah, if we were to um, be able to reverse engineer a divinity or um, afterlife, I would be, um, I would love to see that. And I would love to see the, the ironic aspects of that, like a, a talk show, various versions of God arguing about which of their products is the best uh, 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 available uh, regimen. That would be cool. Maybe, Brian, in the future, you can do a film about this. But what are, uh, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, these things that we have been discussing, but uh, what uh, are your uh, gut um, immediate reactions to these ideas? Yeah, well, we, 
well we talked about this like for for like many dozens of hours over the <laughs> last couple of years um but like as i understand it for like Cornea's future version is not like a pause there's the, the 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 version we are like creating in the film isn't going to to stop living at a certain point and then reawaken sometime in the future it's like a continuous version of Kania uh, yeah that's that's the the scenario we are like uh, focusing on in in the film um and of course you have a lot of like philosophical questions about what what is is that the same would that be the same person, the same entity, or would that be like, uh, would that be Brian A and Brian B, and how are they connected? Of course, there's also like some philosophical debates on that. But what for me is 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 really interesting about the future and the cyborg future is we also talked a lot like me and Kania about what is a meaningful life, what can meaningful lives be in the future. Kania also talks a lot about that in our in our. Um, um in their videos and um that that is what for me is really important like the cyborg as a take on how can lives be valuable and meaningful for everyone in the future and it's also not just a technological take on the human form but also like how can the world be more loving be more meaningful for so many people that uh, the world doesn't seem to offer a place for um and that's what's really interesting about this for me, this idea of the cyborg as well, about how we can transform that, the more toxic um, um, like structures that are in the world right now, where so many people feel not a part of, of or uh, not can't find, yeah. Um, so that, 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 that is for me also really interesting about this, 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 this the idea of the cyborg. That's cool. No, I see that, uh, uh, oh, well, time is running. There were two other things that uh, I wanted to discuss. Mm -hmm. uh, now, let's go very quickly about one. We're going to be talking another time about this, but uh, let's make this uh, quick. We have uh, been reminiscing about Second Life. Now, that was uh, looked like such a great thing in the mid 2000. It was the future of the internet, and everyone thought that we were going to live in a virtual world all the time. And then uh, it was uh, a complete failure because, uh, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, people were just not interested enough. What uh, I think now is that that kind of immersive environment like a second life or like one of the so many metaverses that are appearing now. It's something that is just too much for the very limited attention span of uh, the people today. I mean, we just are too used to the kind of interaction that we have on Facebook. And, uh, you know, uh, a virtual world, a well-done virtual world is as immersive as uh, real life which uh, requires too much attention from uh, most people. So uh, I do not think that the metaverse will ever take off as a mass uh, phenomenon. For specialized application, yes, but uh, 
something like uh, Neil Stevenson's metaverse. No, that won't exist. But uh, can you? What do you think? Can something like uh, the massively popular Second Life come back? Um, I completely don't agree with you. I think you don't agree uh, with me. No, I think that um, um, uh, Second Life was, of course, an aborted uh, fetus. It was messy. It was chaotic and. Uh, the problem with Second Life is you couldn't commercialize it because there were too many troublemakers, uh, too many people that were sexualized or engaging in taboo topics, including snuff, uh, including severe violent uh, sexuality. Uh, that makes Second Life completely unsuitable for any commercialized medium. But if you say, um, for instance, look at um, um, uh, right now you have artificial intelligence where you can give simple instructions for uh, artwork and mm -hmm. at the snip of a finger you have realistic artwork, um, including uh, uh, very detailed anatomical features. Shuon um, uh, had recently made a statement about it. She said, I want to see an artwork um, and like this and this and this and you see it. Um, I think that it won't be 10 years before you can do the same in virtual spaces. Um, I think in 10 years you will have warehouses with every item you can imagine scanned casually, like telephones, cars, buildings. Uh, you have a Google warehouse where you have every building in the world, plus historical <laughs> versions of that. Um, people will take old video from the 1930s, 1920s, and reconstruct uh, those virtual spaces mm -hmm. uh, real time, mm -hmm. uh, filling in gaps between years because like there was a building in that video, two years later the building is gone. Mm -hmm. And then you can like extrapolate a transition between that, uh, uh, the, the, the breaking down the building. There was for instance a building next to Binhof in The Hague, right next to the water. And I saw a video of that building being broken down and there was a beautiful sort of like a restaurant there next to the, the uh, port. And um, I think that, that those restaurants, those places at some point may be reconstructed as virtual objects without any direct uh, uh, application. But the, uh, the seductiveness, at least for a large part of the population and the, the, the slowly decreasing bar of technology will scoop in people at some point. And it won't be 10 years, it won't be maybe not even 15 mm -hmm. years, but before the middle of the century, I think significant percentages of our population will be in those low effort uh, virtual spaces. Many of those spaces will be commercialized, sanitized, boring as fuck, but uh, very Facebookized, so to speak. Um, meta. <laughs> uh, but uh, you will have private darknet um, uh, cookie cutter, not, not cookie cutter, but like cut and paste uh, virtual spaces um, with their own game rules, maybe mm -hmm. like derivative of existing games, like say, uh, uh, certain games like Skyrim might at some point become a, uh, a virtual space in itself where you literally have Skyrim in much better graphics with waving 
trees have plants and everything and walking like animals walking around where you with current perception your current eyes wouldn't see that it is a virtual reality maybe before 2050. Um, I see an enormous potential for these spaces to emerge. Um, the, the Karens of 2050 will be bickering in those spaces. Um, they will meet friends from the other side of the world in those spaces, standing there in their preferred avatar. Um, uh, uh, this is going to, people are going to get scooped in. Of course, a whole bunch of people will not do this. They will refuse, they will come with conspiracy theories. Um, uh, a large percentage of the people will reject these developments, but I see Pandora's, uh, Pandora's box is that uh, the future is all about people making different choices. So uh, a lot of people will be in virtual spaces. A lot of people will modify themselves uh, as furries. I don't know. Um, and a lot of people will be boringly conservative from our perspective. Um, I you see know, much I, more to you that. Yeah, I don't have any doubt that uh, you know that's uh, the direction technology seems to be evolving toward. And I don't have any doubt that by mid-century we will have uh, the technology possibility of uh, virtual worlds that are entirely indistinguishable from reality. At least, yeah, at least as yeah. far the visual aspect is concerned. And after that, we're going to also have all the other sensorial aspects. I don't have any doubt that that's going to happen. But why shouldn't the same thing happen that happened in Second Life? If you go back 15 years in the past, Second Life was very good for the technology of that time. Second Life was an excellent piece of technology. But uh, you know what happened was that uh, it was very addictive for a very small minority of people. But, oh, a, uh, I think you make a major cognitive mistake. People who stepped into Second Life are people with a reason to be there. So that either lonely people or people with, let's say, gender dysphoria, Second mm -hmm. Life still has right now a very large population of trans people. Right. Uh, but you miss out on one very important aspect for the near future. Mm -hmm. um, it will be very easy and also very necessary to educate kids. And since the school system, as we have it now, is horribly dysfunctional in educating kids for the future, uh, it creates cookie-cutter, boring, uh, dysfunctional people. Mm -hmm. Quite often, a lot of these people will be traumatized in the schools of the near future. And I think that the school system, as we have it today, will fail very quickly, let's say, in the next decade. And the only alternative we have at that time will be a virtual system. Uh, say I want to learn mathematics or a foreign language or geography. Mm -hmm. uh, you just let kids loose in virtual spaces of that time. Uh, and a whole generation of kids will grow up very soon. And I'm not talking uh, 10 years, probably less than that, um, using those tools in school. And then um, the next generation after that will go even better dealing with school. They will do it at home. And that is the beginning. And then a generation will be accustomed to 
manipulating those environments in very creative and completely unforeseen ways. Like what we couldn't even envision in 2005, mm -hmm. what's happening right now and is commonplace right now, uh, uh, we will have in 2030. And I believe that um, it is like a scoop. It is like an ice cream scoop where you take people uh, and at some point you scoop out a certain demographic for mm -hmm. whatever reason. It can be uh, visualization for uh, machine machining or a repair company that wants to repair cars and then you use virtual uh, projection to visualize what's wrong with the car. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't have to train mechanics to uh, understand all the minutia. They literally see it, it becomes self-intuitive and like normal education, but also visualization, also communication, also uh, manipulation of data. So you use algorithms to visualize data in, in schematics. And so you can look at it from 3D space. I think that, that we are ahead of a golden era in that regard. And it won't be anything like Second Life, although some aspects of Second Life mm -hmm. may happen at some layers. The, uh, the book Rainbows and literally dealt with that. There were um, layers of virtual reality happening or augmented reality happening at every moment. And um, the potential for uh, conveying information entertainment is so big. There's no way we can uh, not have large sections of the population getting completely lost in there. Me, I'm done with that. I had my second life phase. I used it as a visualization tool. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I used to fuck in second life. Now I fuck in reality. <laughs> That's great. You know, um, I, really, I really hope you are right. Um, I know, right. Yeah. I just convinced you. I saw it. Mm. <laughs> Not entirely. You said some interesting things as usual, but um, you didn't uh, really answer my objection, which was the fact that we had, uh, I mean, we, had a, we have a good technology now. We are going to have much better technology in the future, but we even had good enough technology in 2005, and that was not what people wanted. What people wanted was the kind of very low attention communications that we have on Facebook. Even yeah, this video conferencing is too much for many people. Yeah, but that's uh, oversimplified. Why should that change? About Second Life, I used when I did Second Life, I used my entire keyboard. There were shortcuts, there were a function to the control keys. If you were building, you were constantly manipulating the Second Life, the, the keyboard. If I would manipulate, say, the 3D software Maya, it's like nothing but she that is niche. Such an application, Second Life or any 3D software is niche right now. That is for a specific purpose, for a specific mindset, for a specific urgency in your heart. But I believe that the interface uh, for 3D manipulation, um, you've seen Cyberpunk 2049. Mm -hmm. uh, I was smiling when I saw that. That woman, uh, uh, the daughter of Deckard. Uh, did you see, remember this scene? I think I did see some parts, but was not, a, uh, not all of it. There was a beautiful, lonely girl 
the daughter of Deckard and uh, the replicant, uh, what was her name? I forgot. And she is in, uh, because of a disease, she's locked in a bubble, literally a little dome. She has a disease, an autoimmune disease where she dies if she's exposed to the real world. And she has a profession, a career, a major virtual reality, memories for replicants. She's talking and about Blade Runner, by the way, not about oh, cyber. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049. And she has a metal device in her hands where she literally composes reality, creates a cake in midair. Um, I think that those interfaces, those, this, those intricate interface uh, 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 devices will just evaporate in the background and it will be a literally spoken interface. Mm. Very quickly, gestural. <laughs> I agree with that one a lot on Kania because virtual environments now are you you the interface is often a problem to be totally immersed in there, and that that's that's also why I yeah don't don't often feel as as part of the world. Sometimes sometimes it does. I I had one really great virtual reality work by Laurie Anderson, an American artist, where you really where the the tools really helped you being like a being in that world but um i think if interfaces will be better uh then definitely it will be more attractive to a lot of a lot of people and um at some point i guess uh, we will uh, we won't have any physical interface we'll have just uh one interface uh, inside the, the brain uh, using uh, brain implant technology that would be the grand grandchildren mm. of uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink. And so yes, perhaps at that point, by the end of the century maybe, where uh, you can manipulate uh, a virtual world uniquely inside your head without any effort at all, then yes, perhaps uh, the, that would be too much for anyone to resist. And then at that point, that uh, future version of the neural metaverse would become a commonplace feature in the life of everyone. Well, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going, I'm not so optimist that I'm not, that I'm going to be around by 2100. Perhaps my resurrection, Kobe. Well, I think that um, even in the short term, the potential market for this kind of stuff, take for instance, pornography, it's so big and so seductive and people will love to uh, put their hands in virtuality to manipulate whatever soft and hardware. Okay, okay, but so why aren't we seeing uh, people buying in mass uh, Oculus at the department store? You know, I was uh, at an electronic shop a couple of weeks ago yeah. Just by curiosity, I asked whether they had uh, uh, Oculus Quest uh, 2, the new one, and they said, no, we don't carry it because there is no demand for it. We had these things for uh, a good uh, seven, or eight, seven or eight years. Now, why aren't people rushing to the electronic shops to buy these interfaces? Literally, literally, the metaphor applies for a winged air flight. Uh, if Second Life was um, at the level of the Wright brothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are now 10 years later, we have a world war with the first winged airplanes where they mm -hmm. drop bombs and mm -hmm. they use machine guns. Then we are 
I don't know, 20 or 30 years from commercialized flight. Um, I think you can put that analogy, analogy straight away. The, the first um, commercial, easy interface, casual use, affordable uh, uh, travel. Okay, so you're Atlantic. saying that we are... So you're saying we are not yet buying the interfaces because the interfaces are not yet good enough? Uh, categorically, yes. I see. Yeah. Which is kind of hopeful because it lets us hope that with better interfaces and better software, this sector uh, will finally take off. That yeah. uh, would be good for us to think because we have uh, really spent uh, many years of our life immersed in these environments. I'm done with it. I am done with these environments. I, I, so am I. I, don't, I don't even play games anymore. I, I want to feel uh, a touch on my body. <laughs> you don't play games because uh, you have made your life like a game. And that was uh, yeah. really an excellent outcome, I believe. Yeah. Okay, guys, I will have to go. And, uh, but, you know, it's been really great to chat with you too. And uh, I really look uh, forward to knowing more about the film. Uh, perhaps you can uh, send me again the link to the website that you are mentioning with your previous work. And let's stay in touch and uh, keep me posted about your project. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. I enjoyed a lot and let's stay in touch and um yeah see you next time <laughs>